You are listening to Billionaires in Boxes, the number one podcast publicist for businesses globally. Billionaires in Boxes, steady hustle, no stopping. Making it happen, put words into action, and quitting is never an option. No time to be a loser, gonna live the life that you choose to. Time to make a little money and gain some influence with Phil Palucha. Yeah, you want more sales? Hello, and welcome to this edition of Billionaires in Boxes with me, your host, Phil Palucha. Now, we live in a world with many languages, and uh, as a Brit, it's safe to assume that I can only speak one of those languages. Uh, and uh, actually, many people would argue I don't even speak that all that well. But today, I am joined by a very special bilingual guest who is helping businesses all over the globe to upscale, open up new markets, open up new opportunities, all by the use of employing new different language skills. So Samuel, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much, Phil. It's an, it's an honor and a privilege to be here with you. It's great to have you here, my friend. Great to have you here. And you know what? Um, we were just having this conversation off air. I think there's a few juicy topics that we'll get into today. But for those of the audience that haven't come across you before, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, um, well, thank you for having me, first of all, Phil. So what? Um, so um, uh, so I've... Um, I've lived on four continents, and um, and one of those things that led me to was having an interest for not only language, yes, language, but also culture. You know, the two overlap, as uh, as you and I know, as people who have who, who have traveled literally or figuratively uh, throughout the Anglosphere. Sometimes language and culture do not mathematically upon each other. Mm. So, uh, so one of the things I, I I'd like to try to do is is you know is to one of the things I try to do with my clients is to is to have them imagine if they could access new markets in several different parts of the world that they didn't think they could access, attract new clients, and increase revenue whilst minimizing their upfront their upfront costs. What if, for example, with someone like you, Phil, I could say, okay, you can give a great speech because I know you, I know you do a bunch of conference speaking and you travel and mm-hmm. or give talks in Asia and so on. What if I could have you with the same eloquence? in four languages at once so you can reach four times the clientele for example i love that it's pow- and, it, and it is powerful i mean speaking from experience um when i went to shanghai we did like half a million dollars worth of sales from the stage which was just incredible i think that's the most i've ever sold from stage it's ridiculous but a large part of our presentation that we did for example was because uh, we had a translator translating the actual talk, but a large part mm-hmm. of the success came from the fact that during the presentation, I showed a video and it was an animated video that we had done for us. Very clever, me overlaid talking on top of this animated video. But at the bottom, we had uh, Chinese subtitles and we mm-hmm. had them professionally done. And mm-hmm. actually that allowed people to take the headphones off, sit and watch, they could read through and they could enjoy it without having you know, multiple sources of audio and everything else coming at them at the same time. And and that appears to have worked a treat. Uh, and in fact, one of the compliments that we got the most afterwards, and I'm not just saying this because I have a language specialist on here. Mm-hmm. One of the compliments we got the most at the end of that talk was thanking us for taking the time to actually have professional subtitles done rather than just going on to Google Translate or something uh, and trying to bash out an attempt of it. Exactly. Um, it it reminds me. I assume you've uh, you've heard of. You may have even seen, or your listeners may have the um, the film Parasite, which is Korean. That was the mm-hmm. first non English language film to win the Academy Award for Best Picture, and heaven knows what else. Um, mm. I live. Um, your viewers may not know this, but I live in the Canadian province of Quebec, which is the only province of Canada that's mostly French speaking. When I went to watch. Um, BC before COVID, as a good friend of my, as a friend and colleague of mine from Milton Keynes likes to say, um, <laughs> Parasite in the theaters, um, in the cinema, it was dubbed in from Korean into Parisian French, which somehow didn't work as well as your subtitles you're just saying because there was this weird class clash, pardon me, between actors, dub, people doing dubbing in very Parisian French, mm. and and the very Asian, very Korean culture and dialogue of the film. So yes. that's that's where I try to have my clients not get to. No offense to the uh, to the uh, to the dubbing actors who did a uh, uh, who did uh, who did an excellent um, who did an excellent job. And the fact that there exists no variety of French spoken in South Korea that I'm natively that I'm aware of. Yes. But but if you get the broader point I'm making, 
I do. I mean, I, I always find those dub things quite cringy, I have to be honest. Um, I find them rather off-putting. My wife seems to be okay with them, but I find them really off-putting. And I think it's because I spend a lot of time, it sounds like a weird thing to say, but looking at people's faces. So I kind of, I lip read. So one of the things that, that bothers me a lot is even when audio is slightly off <laughs> and I can mm-hmm. like, it, you know, it's not even dubbed, it's their voice speaking their language, but the audio is slightly off with the visual. That really bothers me. Um, maybe I'm showing some of my pet peeves here, but it always makes me think back to kind of like the, the Kung Fu movies <laughs> where somebody's mm-hmm. dubbed it and it's just not, it just doesn't work or at least it certainly didn't work for me, but I'm curious, uh, how many languages do you speak at, at present? At present, I speak four, four English, French, Spanish, and Portuguese. Right. How, well, how, well, I lived on, I lived, uh, I've spent varying, varying amounts of time on, on, on four continents, you know, when I was, when I was based there for various, um, for various lengths of time. So I pretty much learned all four of them, some some proper study but mostly by by osmosis however i have the privilege of working with colleagues from all over the world so through me my colleagues my my clients rather can get access to people who do vietnamese german um chinese italian etc etc you name it so i'm so that's one of the really really you know, that's one of the really rewarding aspects of, of having such talented colleagues, you know, that, you know, that I know, I know, like me, you're a big fan of, of strategic alliances, Phil, and joint ventures. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things about partnering with people who do complementary, as you call them, non-competitive partners, I think. Yeah. You know, people who do the same thing, who, who don't do the same thing, but have the same audience so you can work together and get each other gigs and so on. So that's yeah. one of the ways in which I do that. And that's nailed on because that's exactly what the whole non-competitive partnership thing is about. I mean, and you know, some of my listeners will have heard me say this saying before, but there's a, a Bill Gates quote, which is he hires the laziest person to do the most difficult job because they'll find the quickest way of doing it. And what I take from that quote isn't necessarily about laziness, it's about efficiency. Like if you can do the job in a fraction of the time that somebody else can to the same standard, well, you're a genius as far as I'm concerned. And one of the Mm -hmm. things that I look at with non-competitive partnerships is how can we all be far more efficient? If we're all going out and let's say, let's keep the maths easy, right? Let's say Mm -hmm. we've got 10 people and we're each meeting 10 new people a month. Well, that's a hundred introductions that you can have made that month. That's a lot of introductions. Mm-hmm. That's going to help anybody's businesses grow. And all you had to do was make sure that you brought your 10 conversations and 10 people to the table. So mm-hmm. if you can find the right kind of non-competitive partners, whether that's, you know, same language, different language, different continents. I mean, the continent thing is, is, is really interesting. And I don't think you know this about me, but one of the things that I actually do with my team a lot, and they're used to this, like no end, is that when we win a client or a partner who I'm really enjoying working with, I will give them as much detail on that person as possible, as much detail on their avatar, on their business, on everything else. And I'll say, go and find me more of those people in the different corners of the globe. So go, I mean, corners of the globe is a, is a you understand what I'm saying there, but, um, you know, go and find me two of these in Australia, find me two in the Middle East, find me two across Africa, two or three across Asia, handful across uh, Latin and, and Central America, and maybe even one more in the States, something like that. Mm-hmm. And as a result, what you're doing is taking something that you already know works, taking that formula and blueprint for success and cloning it. In fact, funnily enough, I don't know whether you've seen your emails today yet, or even whether it's come across. If not, it will be across within the next hour or so. Mm-hmm. You're as somebody who's working with me. You're about to get an email with a video in it, which is called cloning and fishing with bait. Cloning is how you go and do exactly what I've just talked about. How do you find more of these people internationally or even within your own domestic market? And fishing with bait is how do you take the conversations that you're having on podcast interviews that would be of interest to those people and use it as bait to go fishing and start those conversations? You know, what you don't want to be is that person who, you know, spamming on LinkedIn. I hate that, you know, that whole, hey, here's a load of waffle about stuff that you don't care about. You know, people, you have to give before you get law of reciprocity. So if you're giving them some gold nuggets and advice by way of, 
here's a podcast interview I did recently. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it later, but like, we're going to talk about some of your success stories. It may well be that you want to clip out one of those success stories and send that to the people that you've just cloned. That's a phenomenal way of starting those relationships in, in whatever language. Exactly. And if I may, I just add two points to that. The first being that, um, that with the non-competitive partners or, um, or whatever terminology you want to use, because, I will put aside the certified terminologist that I actually am as well. And um, with regard to the content, um, if uh, if I have 10 non-competitive partners to keep the math simple, as you said, that th those are nine services that my clients may need and your clients may need that we can save our clients from having to look for nine people se separately on their own. We can say, oh, you need an XYZ? I have an XYZ. Here you go. Bam, 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 bam. Mm, and exactly. uh, and 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 your clients are happy. And um, and you're mentioning in terms of one of the things that you were getting your your clients your 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 um your uh, your colleagues non-competitive partners to do was to look for people like this avatar, whatever it may be, all over the world. Um, th that's actually another place. Perhaps we should discuss off air. But that's another place that we may have overlap. You know, one of the things I do is I help businesses expand and adapt in whatever official whatever additional languages are my clients request, you know, I try to provide a comprehensive service with regard to language and culture on that. So maybe mm. we should talk about that off air, but, uh, sure. Uh, you see, this is, uh, this is, you know, I don't need to tell someone with your podcasting experience, but one of the lovely things about discussing with someone who already know uh, is that you discover more things that you have in common with someone than you thought when you do a agreed. podcast with them. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, that's one of the reasons I love podcasting is that it's such an authentic form of media, right? I mean, uh, you and our listeners both know I, I have a, a television broadcast network. And, and one of the things that I, I, I mean, look, I like TV, has a massive reach, helps a lot of people. However, here's the thing I don't like about TV. Mm -hmm. It's about three hours worth of content whittled down into about 45 minutes for it to be, well, 42 minutes for it to be a 60 minute program. Mm -hmm. And you like that is decided by an editor, by a producer, right? That's decided by someone who says, I like this bit, don't like this bit. Whereas, you know, I might have disagreed with that idea. I might have thought, well, actually that bit that he said there was really interesting. And, and, but because somebody else overlooked it or somebody else didn't find it as interesting, it doesn't make the cut. Whereas podcasting, you know, that throwaway line that somebody says might just be the ticket for you to unlock that next thing. I'm a big believer in the universe puts people, things and content in your life when it's supposed to be there. So it may well have been that there was one piece of information in there that could have helped you get to that next level or sparked a thought process that could have kind of unlocked things for you. Well, in podcasting, it's absolutely almost certain to be in there because it's such an authentic form of media. In television, there's a pretty good chance that that one line, that one key, that one secret might actually be edited out. Exactly. And I mean, I mean, I mean, podcasting, not being the only form of media that's like this, but it's organic as well. Eh? It's, Correct. It's, it's, you know, you get a conversation and it flows and you end up sometimes going on um, on, on tangents, which sometimes is not the worst thing in the world, but yeah, but hey, um, or, or or sometimes, as you say, it's a passing comment yep. that that you pause the uh, the um, uh, the television literally figuratively, and you go, hey, and then you return to it ten days later, and you go, well, if I went with this comment and this idea, and I followed it to its logical breaking point, you talk about someone else, they suggest another idea. And all of a sudden, you know, that, that, that train continues all of a sudden, hold on, I have something that may work here, you know, uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's serendipity. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what, as well, I think you just touched on something there. It's not the only form of media like that. I mean, podcasting is essentially social media, right? Yes. It's a social form of media, but one of the things that is massively lacking in social media is the social aspect. Um, I mean, let's, for example, if you went to a party and in person, party a physical event right if you walk up to somebody you're going to introduce yourself you're going to ask about them you're going to ask questions you're going to ask each other questions that's how conversations work that's not how it mm -hmm. works in social media in social media it's like the equivalent of going up to somebody at a party and saying here's what i had for breakfast i went on holiday to marbella recently i'm really missing my cat snowball and it'd be like what on earth is this person on this is a very strange conversation 
People mm-hmm. don't treat social media as they would do social interactions. And that's one of the big things that's missing. Whereas in podcasting, you can't just come on here and talk in sound bites because you're going to sound like a machine. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's, there's, there's a level of humanity that I think that is too often, as you say, missing in, in, in business interactions. Not that, not that, um, have, um, have a colleague, um, in, in greater Liverpool, I believe Ian Denny, who is a, who along, who, who, who was a specialist on LinkedIn, and he, and he makes the point often that I agree with, which is that, you know, you should make LinkedIn as much, he is a specialist in LinkedIn, so he says LinkedIn, but his, his point is broader. And it concurs with yours, I think. In terms of making these conversations more natural, as if you were, as if you were talking to someone, and I'd like to think in, in person, and I'd like to think that the combination of social media and the uh, and the COVID nineteen pandemic were in October twenty twenty one. At least um, there are still a lot more signs I hear from my family in Canada than there are in my family in the UK. But let's not open that can of worms. But <laughs> I'd like to think that the effect of the COVID nineteen pandemic has made a lot of us not socialize in person, and social media has has made us in that in some of that direction. As well, I'd like to think there's still a place for for humanity and business for these conversations that go slowly, mm. like any good relationship should. Like, um, like, like you know, like you just said, you're not going to have a conversation. You know, walk up to someone and say, "I went on holiday to whatever place, and here's what I had for breakfast this morning, and I missed my cat." Someone's going to look at you and think, "What kind of drugs, literally, are yeah. this person on?" Exactly. Or, or if you start, you know, or or mostly if you start if you start dating someone romantically, you're not going to ask them to marry you on the first date. You know, it's 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 the fact of, you know, you know, anyone's personal life aside, what I, what I was saying earlier in terms of things evolving organically and at their own pace. No, you're but- so right. And 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 I think that's there's a lot of digital interaction that I think allows the facilitation of that. And, and look, I mean, your, your profession must have changed a lot over the past few years. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I was actually having this conversation with uh, somebody yesterday. In fact, George, it was George, you know, George Shepard, the guy who runs 360 summits. Yes. Uh, yes. I know George. I, I, um, yes, yes. I know George. I've, so, I, we've collaborated in the past. So it's a we've great company past, for those of you that don't know George, definitely check him out. That's a bit of a plug for George. Um, very, very, great at summits a lot of people get summits wrong and, and he's he's nailing it on he's great so i love george but we were um we were exchanging some whatsapp messages back and forth last night and mm-hmm. i said to him you know what are you up to and he said oh you have just got back from lunch blah 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 this is my day what about you and i said oh, i'm just getting my kids to bed and he said how cool is this that we are just like so easily communicating with each other on whatsapp different times of day different countries different time zones different weather's different everything and yet we're just we can have a conversation so easily it i mean and when you think back to i mean i had a friend when i was in school who moved to australia and we used to send each other a letter like once a month and it would take like 6 to 8 weeks for the letter to arrive like mm-hmm. that's just in my lifetime and i'm not that old so that just i think it shows how far we've come you know, that we can now interact with people instantly in real time, anywhere on the globe. And that presents an incredible opportunity for business, but only if you know how to communicate with them, which is where you come in. Exactly. But this, but the thing is that, 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 that communication is multifaceted and it's complex. You know, there are, uh, there's not only the question of accuracy here, there's a question of nuance, of subtleties. There's, there's something that goes beyond, it's, um, it, it, it's a colleague example, and it's, it's somewhere between an anecdote and a quip, but it's, 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 it's pretty revealing if you'll bear with me. Um, sure. um, being British, you may have heard of the famous cookbook, uh, Mrs. Beaton's. Uh-huh. Or maybe not. Yeah, so, have- Yes. I, I, so Mrs. Beaton's, for your non-British listeners, is a famous British cookbook, and um, a colleague of mine, he was he 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 was interpreting uh, simultaneous translating for a French for for a French delegate who used the who t- who spoke about the cultural equivalent in France to Mrs. Beaton's. My colleague recognized that Mrs. Beaton's 
was, you know, was, uh, was the appropriate British equivalent for, his, for, for the British delegate in the meeting. And um, the Norwegian delegate in the meeting had no idea what he was talking about. Who is this woman, Mrs. Beaton? <laughs> and why is she of, of, of importance? And I did a LinkedIn post about this and people from the, someone from the Anglophone Caribbean said, I'm from a former colony, like us in Canada, by the way. And, uh, and the person says, I have no idea who this Mrs. Beaton is. So just, 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 you know, just because you speak a language natively or fluently doesn't necessarily mean that you understand the cultural references that may be more specific. And um, this is one of the uh, this is one of the things you know. Um, I often get asked a question, uh, Phil. You know, or, or I often hear, I, I, you know, in global business, doesn't doesn't everyone speak English, figuratively speaking? And I say, well, maybe eighty percent. Let's say, for the sake of argument, eighty percent do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, if I told you or any other businessman or businesswoman that you would knowingly deprive yourself of 20% of your potential business off the start. Do you th- I don't think any smart business owner or CEO or, or, or what have you would, uh, would think that's a very good idea, would you? No, it's a terrible yeah. idea. And, so, and to say from the start, I'm going to forsake, and this is even before we get to referrals and strategic partnerships and strategic alliances and what have you, imagine that 20% could have someone who could refer you you know, five clients, you could do one meeting as a colleague of mine likes to tell, do one meeting with someone, you know, and four years later, get a, get a four-figure contract that occurs every year from just that one meeting alone. And, and also, you know, if I gave your, if I gave your, uh, your colleagues on, in continental Europe or in Asia, the chance, the, the chance to hear you, should have mm. the strain to understand 60% of what you're saying by no fault of yours, Phil, sure. or, to, or, or to sit back, relax, and hear Phil at his best in, in, in my native language, if that weren't English. Mm. I, I, I don't think this is rocket science to think which one they would choose. Sure. No, you're absolutely right. I could see that. And, and it's funny, that was going to be one of the questions I asked you, actually, is how much of the business world actually speak English? Um. Because that it's interesting, isn't it? Because I remember, uh, look, being a Brit, we're notorious for not really being that good at other languages. Now, obviously, there are lots of British people who can speak other languages, but as mm-hmm. a whole, I, I, maybe it's the colonial side of us, but it's kind of like, no, you speak our language. I don't care if I'm in your country. There is definitely an element of that with the British population. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we go on holiday all over the world and have no intention of ever learning anybody's language. I mean, I like I said, I've been all over the world. I mean, Asia was the the strangest one for me. So spending a whole my whole time in Asia with everybody speaking fluent English at me, that was impressive because I didn't know a word of their language. Like I would get into a taxi and have to like show pictures like a toddler of where I wanted to go because I couldn't say a single word. Um, in fact, I'd, I'd learned like two phrases by the time but to, to say while I was out there, as you do, that were kind of polite. And mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the trip, one of my Chinese friends said, do you know that that doesn't mean what you think it means? <laughs> so, so I'd just been <laughs> saying something ridiculously weird to somebody. And it wasn't, it wasn't like somebody had taught somebody me, me incorrectly. It was that, and you, you, you'll know this in lots of languages, certain mm-hmm. change of how something is pronounced can have a, a, a massive impact on what the phrase actually means. Yes. Um, and that's what I was doing. I was just saying the words, but I wasn't putting the emphasis in the right places. So it meant something different to what I was trying to say. Um, and exactly. But that can have a big impact on business. Like if you're if you're in a meeting, you don't you know, you wouldn't want to do that in English. So why would you want to do that in somebody else's language? You know, exactly. And uh, this brings to mind a great uh, an example. Um, I um, I have a a friend who is a musician who is who is Lebanese but he's lived in Europe for um, for a long time and he had this project with people in with people in Portugal and at the beginning he didn't speak Portuguese so this poet wrote lyrics for him to set to music and he wrote the music he came to the people at the theater in Portugal he started playing it and they said to him another example of what you're talking, of the broader point you're making, which is why I bring it up. They said to him, no, 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 no. That word is not pronounced with the accent. It, that syllable is not accented. So you can't have the music go that way. And he goes, 
what? <laughs> and so just just another example of I like that. Things are sometimes more kind of with than meets the eye. It's the nuances, isn't it? And you wouldn't and you wouldn't know this. You would not know this. Um, I mean, I remember when I was I was playing football in Hungary and I, I started to try and learn some Hungarian. Now, Hungarian is a hard language to learn, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. And to this day, I kind of use it as a bit of a party trick because I still know a few phrases and can have basic, basic level conversations. I mean, very basic. Um, and one of the things that I found fascinating about learning Hungarian was how difficult it was, not because of the actual language, but because whenever I was in Hungary, let's say I was in a restaurant or something, right? Mm-hmm. And I wanted to practice my Hungarian. So mm-hmm. I'd start talking in Hungarian. This is the response that I would get back every single time. Oh, you're English. Can I practice my English with you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll do this whole thing in English then because your English is clearly better than my broken Hungarian. So we're going to do this whole conversation in English. So actually, (laughs) it was more opportunity that was the issue. It was very difficult to find people who were prepared to let me have the conversation in whatever language it was I was trying to learn. Exactly, because everyone tries to learn. Everyone, uh, or, or 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 more people, you know, want to take advantage of, take advantage, to to um, to to take advantage of the fact that you have Anglophone visitors to to your country to to learn English. Or a lot of people do, which actually makes sense, given that English is the is the language of of global business. But um, you just mentioned Australia. I um, I lived in. I lived in New Zealand. I have family in Australia, but I lived in New Zealand for a few years. And I remember a British colleague of mine saying when he first moved to New Zealand, despite being British and coming from New Zealand's former colonial power, he had no idea who who the captain of the All Blacks rugby team, New Zealand's famous national rugby team, was in whatever year, nor said he did he particularly care. So that's that's one of many examples of a kind of um, of a kind of cultural knowledge that that, uh, that goes beyond language, and we can think of a zillion other examples. Mm. But um, uh, I, and it brings to mind a um, a quip that another colleague once told me that the difference between a qualified translator and a, and a mere quote unquote native speaker is the same is the same extent of difference there is between a cardiologist and a person who has a pulse. That's a little yeah. harsh, but think about it. It's, it's, it's a good point, though, isn't it? I mean, just because just you are a native speaker doesn't mean that you can translate something. Exactly. And actually, there's a big difference between translating as well in the way that you translate something. So, you know, mm-hmm. if you're a native speaker, I think the temptation would be to improve or correct or even alter what it was that somebody had said. You know what I mean? Like if somebody says something to me and says, can you tell the next person? I'm going to put that into my own words. <laughs> I'm not going to use their words, right? But in translation, that those translations might actually make a big difference in the way that you've, you you said it in exactly the way that you wanted it transcribed and translated. You know, you don't want somebody having creative license to change what it is that you've said because that might actually alter the meaning of the conversation. Exactly. That's the thing we're always told when we, uh, that we're always told that I was always told when I, when I, you know, when I did my studies now, even from colleagues, what you want to get across is the message firstly. And secondly, the intention behind the message. Mm. And, and well, if you can't figure it out, it's a little hard, but we'll leave that aside for the moment. But you, but you, but you do the best you can because a lot of the stuff you're doing it, at least a lot, a lot of the work I do, you're doing it in live time, or you're doing it right after. Sure. So, so there's 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 very little time to think or react, which is why preparing beforehand is so is so important. But but thinking in one language, speaking in another at the same time, it's it's it, it's it's not easy. I thought I knew quite a bit about about language and thinking on my feet when I first when I started studying the stuff. I realized there's so much I have left to get learn, and that's yeah, to learn. That's one of the things I love, Phil, about what I do. Mm. I get, de facto, I get a crash course in what my clients do. And I learn so many things from my clients. I'll give you an example. I, mm. I had a contract for, um, for a client leading up to um, the big UN climate conference, which is 
I think in Glasgow this year, COP26 it's called in 2021. Um, and I learned all of these things about ongoing UN and WHO World Health Organization's initiatives, the amount of signatories that there were to a certain letter trying to link health and, and, and the climate. And I thought, wow, this is, this is really interesting. I, I never would have learned it if I hadn't had this client. And you know, your clients, yeah, I mean, your clients, of course, we all have to make money. We all have to put food on the table, but, 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 but I've learned some pretty fascinating things from, uh, from my clients that have nothing to do with how much they pay me. It's like, wow, this is, this, this is a privilege. Almost as much as a privilege as talking to you, dear friend. <laughs> Thank you. You're such a charmer. Look, I, I have a I have a question for you before we before we wrap up. Because I want to obviously know how people can get in touch with you. But I wondered if we could. I mean, we were talking about business growth in particular and kind of utilizing it to use the example that you gave to to open up kind of that that twenty percent of the market that people are missing out on. Mm-hmm. What's to date? What's your what's your biggest success story? What's the one that if I said to you, you know. Give me an example of a time when that's worked really, really well, that you've gone to a business and by what it, what were they experiencing? What was it that you actually did and, and what was what was the outcome for them? Because I think there'll be a lot of people listening to this that actually you're talking about 20% of the market. That 20% of the market might not even be in their thought process because they don't speak whatever. They're probably thinking, well, I can't do that because I don't have it. How would I do all of that? So I just think a working example would be really powerful if you have one to hand. Of course, yeah. Well, um, well, well. As I'd like to say, that's uh, that's where I come in. Um, uh, well, I'm. Well, um, oh, I have. Um, I have a project that's actually that's actually in development at the moment, where um, a colleague of mine, uh, uh, a colleague of mine who's who's an accountant, is dealing with giving her clients in Canada a tax advice. In terms of, and and they're thinking of expanding their businesses into Greece and Italy, so I'm working, I'm I'm, so I'm working with partners to try to make sure that every time, you know, Canadians, be they anglophone or francophone, talk to clients in Greece or Italy, that they're not, that they're not, that they're not leaving money on the table, uh, you know, because yeah. um, so basically, um, uh, so that's one of those things that. That, that I'm going to be helping with that I do more generally with this project. It's just the first example that that comes um, I, 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 that comes to mind that you know also in terms of in, in terms of strategy, in terms of you, I, you know you basically sit down with with a business owner, the appropriate person in the business, and you say, uh, what are your objectives? You know, um, why um, you get a sense of the business, you get a sense of where of of where would be good markets to target, why and and how do they target them? And then, you know, in, in this sense, it, it, it's Greece or Italy. And then you think, you know, how do you market differently to a Greek or an Italian audience? Not the same th- way than you would market to an audience in Canada. Yes. You know, how do how do people in Greece like to be and not be sold to? Yes. And is there anything, because look, I can, I don't speak Greek personally, I have colleagues who speak it natively, but, but the way I would sell to a Greek audience, so I would sell to an Italian audience, is not the way I would necessarily sell it to, and to, uh, to a Canadian audience, be it Anglophone or Francophone. No, so not at I, all. So if I translate the materials without, without, without getting all that cultural nuance in it, then I may be doing my client's quite a disservice mm, and i get that they may think greece may be a great market for them it may turn out not to be because of reasons that my esteemed colleagues there may be able to shed light that i don't know on mm. uh, uh, but um so it's so it's it's there's um there's uh, there's a lot of nuance it's um it's a team sport but you know between me and colleagues and it's really a partnership with my clients with the yes. Greek example, um, and the or the Italian example, and and I mean it can it 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 can be a lot of fun, but really the most important thing for me is 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 my clients' objectives, bringing them value and making sure that their quality is the same 
no matter where on the globe they are. That's my responsibility. It's something I take very seriously to make sure that the Phil Palucha people here in Britain is the same quality Phil Palucha that your clients here, wherever else in the globe you are. Mm. And um, and um, I have I I have a bunch of I have a bunch of colleagues who, who teach languages. I absolutely adore them two bits. They're great people, but but there's a certain amount of what I do that's complementary to what those people do because there's a certain there's a there's a great quote that I love from a former foreign minister of Germany off the top of my head who said, in my own language, I say what I want. In my second language, I say what I can. Yeah. And this means that discussions between people but no matter how well they speak, say English, if it's not their first language, mm. that you're going to get more of the personality of the person if they're in the native language. They're going, the discussions are going to be higher quality if everyone is speaking and listening in their native language. Mm. And and that's and that's basically that's that's one of those things that you know. Uh, you wouldn't think necessarily of people from Greece and people from Canada working together, even though that we have a large Greek. Uh, Greek descended community, Greek immigrants here, but you know, but more broadly, uh, you know, um, I mean, if that's if, if if that's what I can do, if I can make my clients, if if I can make my clients look at their best and sound their best and be their best in front of their clients, business partners, then uh, then that's that's really uh, that's really rewarding for me because it's mm. it's really I'm, I mean I mean you can have the greatest theoretical service offering in the world. I don't need to tell you this, Phil, but if, 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 if your clients aren't happy, if you don't provide quality and value to them, then, uh, then, then, then that's really, then uh, that's really, that's really what I'm, uh, that's really what I'm in business for. And I think that's, that's what anyone's clients, right. Yeah, rightly care about. I'm sure you do it to your clients at billionaires and boxes. Well, look, it, it, if for me, I mean, what you what you've really actually given me th food for thought with there is that the clients who I work with, who English is their second language. Now I'm starting to think. I wonder if they take as much away from it as the native English speakers. Um, I mean, it's working well for them, but at the same time, is there anything that's being missed? I mean, before we wrap up, one of the things I've just found really interesting there, and I'm glad that I asked you that question, because mm -hmm. obviously when we think about uh, translation, we think about the words, right? I'm speaking mm -hmm. German, he's speaking French, someone's going to tell him what I'm saying, right? Mm -hmm. But what you just touched upon there was the nuance of it as well, it, the actual how do people want to be communicated with? How do they want to sell? And I got a couple of examples of that from my own life, actually, that I'll share. Because I think, you know, yes. just, just by sharing those, I think people will start to go, oh, yeah, I've realized that too. So let's choose mm -hmm. a, a really obvious one really close to home for me. So Shoot. English people. One of the things that you will find about British people is we're quite polite. So if you don't give a British person an out of, hey, listen, I'm really not interested in this, they will continue to have meetings, which is why up and down the country, there are business owners pulling their hair out that they have, you know, sales members, sales teams having conversations with people every month, month in, month out, meeting after meeting, and it never seems to go anywhere. And it's because the British person is too polite to say, I'm not interested. And at no point as the salesperson says, are you actually interested in this or am I just wasting my time? Right. Mm -hmm. Compare that to Germany. Germans will tell you, not in a rude way, in a very matter-of-fact way. They will say, well, what you've just said is interesting. If it does this, this, and this, I'm interested. If it doesn't, I am not, right? And there is mm -hmm. no hard feelings, but it means that that 10 series of meetings with a British person might have been one or two phone calls with a German person. Mm -hmm. Again, another example of that is you mentioned how people like to be sold to. So when I was in Asia, one of the things that fascinated me about the Asian market from a technology standpoint was that they want to know the spec. So I'll give you a great example of this because this was an actual advert I got to see. It was an Apple advert. It was the Apple iPhone. can't remember which one, three or four. And it had a, in Asia, the poster had a small picture of the iPhone in the top right-hand corner. And the main bulk of the, the advert was white text writing on a nice textured background that said things like such and such a processor, such and such a speed, such amount of battery life. This is the, the usage hours. It had how many songs it could store, all of that, right? That same advert in the U.S., 
was not any of the spec. It was just a giant picture of the iPhone. And on the screen was somebody using it to take pictures at a party. And why is this so important? Well, in Asia, they wanted to know the technical specification of what it was they were buying. In the US, they had no interest in the technical spec. They wanted to know the transformational impact it was going to have on their life. Am I going to look cool using this cell phone? Can this cell phone hold on my music? Can I take killer photos with my cell phone? If the answer is yes to all those things, the US market will buy it. But the Asian market don't care about that. They want to know the spec. They want to understand, well, why should I spend more money on this one when I've got this one with this processor? Is that processor worth the additional money? Final example I'll give. Um, If you turned up late in most places in the world, if you turned up late to a meeting wearing shorts, you would probably not get the deal. In Durban, in South Africa, it's quite common that if the waves are good, people will go out surfing no matter what time of day or night it is. And it is completely acceptable to be half an hour late for a business meeting because you went down to the beach. Completely acceptable. Mm -hmm. Now, when I moved to South Africa, that one used to bug the life out of me because I am very boom, boom, boom. I'm 15 minutes early for meetings. I'm prepared. I'm there. I'm ready to go. You know, I'm very punctual. It's one of the things I pride myself on. So working with a culture mm-hmm. who are very relaxed about being anywhere between 10 and 30 minutes late used to drive me crazy until I realized that that was just the culture. They weren't being rude. It wasn't a disrespectful thing. That was just the way the culture was. So rather than trying to change them into Brits, I would have to adapt to how they do business. So I started in the end making a joke about it. And I would say, I'll bring shorts with me in my bag. And if you're going to be late, text me and I'll meet you at the beach. And on one occasion, that genuinely happened. A client said, (laughs) waves are good. I've got a spare board. You want to come down? I was like, yeah, I'll come to the beach. We did the entire business meeting on the beach, made a lot of money, made very good friends. And it was a lot of fun. Who's to say that that isn't the right way of doing business? So so that right there, I think I'd not really... And I'm being completely honest, even working with you, I don't think until you'd said that, I'd quite realized the work that you do that goes into the nuance of how people want to be communicated with on top of the actual translation of the words that will be used. Exactly, because that's uh, uh, that's a question I, I get a lot, that, um, uh, 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 that the way of reformulating it that I used, um, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's basically... Um, how do I say this? It's 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 basically, um, uh, you know, what uh, what goes into my work is a lot more than than, for example, translating written documents. But yeah. it's, it's it's like I remember I was so struck by reading reading a BBC article some gosh however many years ago um, doesn't matter about a government 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 minister in Japan who resigned and blamed some failure that he had on his blood type. And the BBC article had to specify that this was culturally very common in Japan because it sure would not have been in the West. Mm. And and I'm not um, I'm not going to get into the um, into the um, the complexities of interpreting for a fellow named Trump, but there are certain things that he said um, that 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 are that are difficult to translate from a cultural from a cultural point of view. I read it in some kind of from memory, in some in some sort of Asian language, in, in some Asian languages, uh, uh, you know, Trump talks a lot about about himself, and in a bunch of Asian languages, it makes no sense from a specifically linguistic point of view to have a person talking about themselves. It's talking about the subject instead of about the person. And sometimes when Trump was talking, it was not clear in real time who who what the subject was. And just just things like that that we don't even think about that are that are cultural that are inherent to the way a language is organized or that are you know that are in ways of thinking mm. you know that are so inherent that sometimes we don't stop and think until there's something that makes us think about them in a, in a different way that 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 is really that is a part of as you, as your South African example so brilliantly illustrates. How people, how people can either take for granted, or overlook, or overlook uh, these kind of matters that are really essential to doing business. Imagine in your example, Phil, if you hadn't, 
butt shorts and said to this colleague who you said you ended up developing an excellent relationship with, yeah. we're going to combine surfing at the beach and business. Imagine if you had taken the approach, business is one thing, surfing is another, and the two shall never meet. Mm-hmm. Imagine, I, I, I don't know how many contacts or how, or, or how much this one meeting and it's, and it's been outside of your bottom line. And quite a frankly, lot. it's not a, well, a lot. Okay. I was about to say it's none of my business. Yeah, it was a lot. Um, it was a good amount of money. It was a good client for us. But imagine that times however many, you know, of, of, the, of the more than one meetings that you or, or our, our colleagues or listeners could theoretically have. Um, imagine if you hadn't developed that sensitivity mm. and, and imagine all of those opportunities not only the money, the money, yes, but 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 how much this opened your eyes, even if you never went to South Africa again. Imagine how much this opens your eyes, even if you stay within the UK in your case. Yeah. Whoever our listeners are, you know, interactions with people who live differently, who think differently, who speak differently, they really open your mind up to other ways of thinking. And uh, and that to me is you know, uh, to quote the old MasterCard adverts from uh, from uh, from from a while ago, that's priceless. Yeah, you're so right. All right, how can people get in touch with you, Sam? I really enjoyed this conversation, by the way. Thank you. As did I. Best way is via email or via phone. Uh, I do uh, I do have WhatsApp as well, and. Uh, well, I'll, I'll include your. I'll, I was going to say, I'll include your details in the show notes below and get people to get in touch that way. But who, who would you like to get in touch? I mean, if there are business owners that are sat listening to this, thinking, do you know what? I'm curious about this. I want to see whether there's a way of me unlocking these markets and see how much work would be involved in all of that, and see whether it would even be a possibility for their line of work. I mean, what what's the very best first approach with you? Do you kind of do like a bit of a consultation? Do you do a bit of a fact find call? Like what what what's what's step one in the process of of discovering this? Well, step one in the process. Well, um, well, if they're if they're entrepreneurs and executives, either their companies are financially sound or they have growth potential. They don't even need to be explicitly looking to go global. I can help them, I can help them strategize that. So basically the first, the first step in the process is I sit down, I have a consultation or strategy session yeah. with them. And then, and then I, you know, I basically get a sense of, uh, uh, of their businesses, the current state of affairs. So I start off with uh, with the strategy session, and which is, which is personalized, it's, it's with me directly. You know, we talk about, you know, where are you at? Where do you want to get to? What are your objectives? And how can and and how can how can we both? How can I add value to you from our collaboration? That's the first step. Is a strategy call. It can be virtual. It can be on the phone. It can be via video conferencing, depending on where the person is in the world. And I can I could definitely provide a link uh, to you in order for people to book the strategy call. And Please do. I could even I, I could even create a one so that um, so that people could know specifically that they came from this podcast. I'd be glad to do that for you. Phil. Please do. Yeah, share the details with me. I'll cl- I'll include them in the show notes below. So for anybody who likes the sound of that, definitely click on the show notes. You will see the link there almost by magic. Um, definitely click on that and book yourself in for a call with Samuel and just explore where this could take you. And as he said, no pressure at this point. This is an opportunity to explore whether you'd enjoy working together and potentially where the opportunities are. But as a business owner, that 20% is still ringing in my head. If you're missing out on 20% of your market, that's a decent amount of revenue that you're left on the table. That's an unbelievable amount of people that you could be helping and working with that at the moment aren't even on your radar. Uh, and, and that is a, a very powerful statement. And the other, uh, and the other thing is that I generally operate, you know, I generally operate using value-based fees. So it's basically, I try to, um, I try to make sure that, I, you know, I try to make sure that my clients have, um, have, have a turn on investment based on their objectives for global business growth. So, 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 so my clients aren't going to necessarily get an invoice for whatever amount of my time after the, uh, after the initial strategy call either. Mm. Perfect, my friend. 
Perfect. Samuel, thank you so much for being here. It's been an absolute pleasure. You and I are going to have a fun conversation about renaming your business at some point off air. So we'll, we'll be doing that over the next few days and weeks. Um, for everybody listening, I really hope you've taken an awful lot away from this. I know I have. There's plenty of food for thought in here. I work with Samuel already and I'm already kind of, this has already made me think even more about things. So I'm sure it is done exactly the same for you. If you do want to get in contact, as I said, the details are in the show notes below. So definitely click on that. Um, I'm going to do a very British thing right now, and I'm going to go for a cup of tea. Enjoy the rest of your day, whatever it is that you're choosing to do. That sounds good. Phil, if I could just ask you one, one quick question. Of course you can. Um, just wanted to ask you if there was, if you had any more questions for me, if not, if there was anything, um, if there was anything else that, uh, if not, if there was anything else that particularly, uh, that particularly stood out to you about, uh, about the lovely conversation we've had. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I don't think I have any more questions, but I think the two things that stood out the most to me are the missing out on 20% of the market. That's that stung. Definitely aware of that one. Uh, and also the fact that it's not just the translation, it's the nuance of actually how to do business in that country. I think that service is invaluable in helping people to establish how to communicate with these, these places rather than just, you know, and I don't want to say just because I can't do it, but like the transcription service, as you said, the translation service, you know, there's, there's so much more to it than that. It's actually understanding the nuances of how to do business with these other countries. And that right there is, is a fascinating insight. So I think they're the two biggest things that I've taken away from today. Uh, thanks very much, Phil. That's, that's very kind of you. And um, I don't know about you, but I really, uh, I really enjoy talking to you. Me too, my friend. Me too. And I'm sure we'll have many, many more conversations. I'm sure there'll be lots of people listening that will be interested in this as well. So um, if you are a business owner, you never know when this is going to be helpful to somebody. So whether it's for you right now or whether you're thinking, you know what, it's probably not me right now do me and Samuel a favor, just give this a share, post this out wherever it is that you are, LinkedIn, social, uh, Twitter, Facebook, everywhere else that we've got these days because you never know who in your network needs to hear this message at this exact time this might be the very moment that that friend of yours you've not spoken to for a year hears this podcast and it takes their business to that next level and you will have played your part in that success all just by clicking the share button it's not bad is it for a, a half a second's work so have a great day take care of yourself i'm looking forward to seeing you next time and we'll see you on the next episode you are listening to a top 100 podcast by billionaires in boxes now it's time to take the throne time to levitate help you level up want to see your growth accelerate if that's what you want making money while you in your box it's short for like nothing and nobody is stopping you even when i said it was impossible no need for hesitation feel p yeah that's your man go from the best kept secret to the go-to brand let's go billionaires billionaires in boxes Let's go.